Roe v. Wade. Oh, Grant? Yeah. Grant? Yeah. Yeah. I got two boys that had birthdays as well. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a great time to be worshiping God. And uh, we are in Galatians. If you want to open up your Bibles and... We'll uh, we'll be there in a few moments. The Apostle Paul was concerned to explain to the Gentiles, as we go all the way back to this Galatian letter, he's explaining really the nature, the very practice of what Christianity really is. And he challenged the ones who had a false understanding of justification by faith. He challenges them all through the letter, and he's given proof, and he shows that the true faith in Christ is going to be shown through the very character of, of people. The character of the believer is shown outwardly. And so the false gospel, which the Judaizers really proposed, only had the deeds of the flesh. But the ones who belong to Christ have the fruit of the Spirit. Two extremely opposite uh, polar ends there. Spirit of God comes in, creates something new from a heart that was dead. From a heart that was stone. We were rebels against God and He puts in a new heart into us and then we can follow His ways. So He puts this new heart in. The Holy Spirit establishes uh, an overall reigning, ruling principle in us now that we are new people. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. In other words, we've been begotten by the Spirit. We've been born again by the Spirit. We've been born from above by the Spirit. It was His work. He put His character into us and we wholly owe everything to this grace. This grace that is so good. So the new birth is not caused by our faith, is it? Not at all. It's not caused by our faith. The faith does play a part, but it's caused by the new birth, or as in John 3, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, that it was a work of the Holy Spirit. It's Him who regenerates us so that we can then believe and then repent. Faith and repentance are important, but He does that. Uh, John 6.65, No one can come to the Son unless it is granted to Him by the Father. Paul was in full agreement with what Jesus said. And throughout the New Testament, he says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And when we were dead through our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. You see what happened? That new birth happened. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Uh, in um, one passage in the New Testament, Paul wrote out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I love this passage here. It's one of my favorites. But he said, Let there be light in Genesis, but to us, who He created, He also said, let there be light. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. 
Therefore, the life that we have in Christ, it is the very work of God's Spirit. He gets all the credit, doesn't He? Everything. There is no boasting for any of us. We live by the Spirit because we have new life. Now we, for the last several weeks, have studied the fruit of the Spirit. We've really been talking about the Holy Spirit, haven't we? And we show outwardly what God has produced in us. We have this new life, but that's just not it. Then the fruit starts manifesting out of the inward parts. That life gives us the ability to walk. So that's the next question is, now what? How do I, as a believer, live out the Christian life? Or as in the title, it says, walk by the Spirit. How do I live out the Christian life? How do I walk by the Spirit? How am I filled by the Holy Spirit? Am I just on automatic pilot and automatically just happens? Just like our new birth happened, it just happened and we didn't do anything. Well, do I forget attempting to live for Christ in my daily life because it'll just happen? Let go, let God. Bad theology. Since I'm not justified by the works of the law, is there really any need for this obedience? I have uh, some people on Facebook that really make it a point that we, you know, we don't really do anything at all once we're Christians. And it's and it's like there is no demand for obedience. There's no demands for works. There are no rewards. We just live this out just waiting for Christ to come back. Everything's all happened. That's bad theology. There is such thing as grace, and we know about that. We preach that all the time. But yet, now, as Christians, now we can do those things. So, this is a life that God meant for us to live to the fullest to the very apex of it. But how can we live as a Christian? We've been seeing this all throughout Galatians, especially in chapter 5, and he's really approaching on that today. We have a lot of battles. There are forces going against us. There is tempting. There is influence of our enemies to us. And in Galatians 5.25... Right inside our text today, he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And we'll explain that, but that's the the two points there. If we live by the Spirit, we walk. We began by the Spirit, then we now are to walk by the Spirit. Do what you do each day by the Spirit of God. All the details. From the moment that you wake up, all the way to the point in the day where you go to sleep. Walking by the Spirit all day long. How do we walk by the Spirit? Well, we're going to observe a few things. And I think if you do have some questions about that, it should help clear it up and say, walking by the Spirit, what is that? What is that? How How do I do that? We'll look at that this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Spirit. Thank You, Lord, for being here amongst us spiritually. We celebrate that our worship by reading of Your Word ultimately and talking about Your Word and what You do with us. You just don't leave us here, abandon us after You save us, but You give us everything we need to live a life of godliness. 
In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we're going to start in verse 23, right at the end of verse 23. If you remember, that's where we left off last week. And um, we had one phrase there that we did not cover. And that's okay. Because I think it's a really good bridge that will go into verse 24 and then 25 and then 26. Now, the thing is, is if you read through here and it looks like they're just loose ends, it looks like, well, how do these fit? Especially, you read 24 and 25 and then you go into 26 and it sounds like something different. It goes into kind of a negative thing. Let us not become this. So how, how do we fit this? How, how do we fit this uh, against such things there is no law? It seems like such a strange statement. You know, we did the fruit of the Spirit and then it just tacks on this phrase here. Have you ever wondered what that means? Well, I always have. I mean, I thought I had an idea. There's an obvious one. I, I think, of course, there is no law against love. There is no law against goodness. There is no law against any of those fruit of the Spirit, are there? Can you think of any laws that have been drawn up, even even in the United States here yet? They'll probably have some law against goodness somehow. I don't know how. A law against love. Can you imagine that? Well, anyway, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is not produced by laws, right? Fruit of the Spirit is not produced by the law at all. Um, uh, Bruce, F.F. Bruce says, but it results from what God has done for us and in us by Christ. Perhaps more simply, I think we look at it as a no law against such things has the effect of uh, this assertion that um, there's a covenant that we know that all of these are going to meet, uh, meet the requirements of the law. These things actually do meet the requirements of the law. John Calvin says, where the Spirit reigns, the law has no longer any dominion. I like that thought. No longer does the law have any dominion when you are saved by grace. It doesn't have dominion. When you bear the fruit of the Spirit, you're not under that power of death and sin and the law. Matter of fact, it's severe, the law is. And the Lord has delivered us from that severity of the law and its punishment. And so it's not even regulated by covenant. It's a thing here the Lord has given it. It's our subjection. Our subjection to God by the Holy Spirit who is in us, who has adopted us into this, and we can't help but want to do things that glorify God. The function of the law in curbing and restraining is necessary when the works of the flesh are displayed. Alistair Begg said that. What did he say? Well, the function of the law that restrains, that curbs, that's what it does. Restrains, curbs. It is necessary when somebody is not being led by the Spirit of God. So the Christian, what does he want to do? He wants to please the Lord. He really does want to please the Lord. He runs into some uh, pitfalls stumbles. But the Scriptures are really not irksome, are they? The law, we think of the Word of God, you know, in that sense. The law, the Pentateuch, the Word of God. But it's a different thing when you become a Christian. Matter of fact, 
aren't there times when you just can't wait to get into the Word of God at the moment you can't get to it? And you say, oh, I wish I was reading the Word right now. I wish I was into that. It gives me so much comfort. Or I have a need for a Scripture here. I need some comfort here. I need some edification here, right? It's not an irksome thing. It's, his burdens are light, aren't they? So we're not under that law anymore. Before you're a Christian, the law makes you feel guilty all the time if you have a conscience, right? The Spirit of God is the dominion that we're in. That's right. That's right. So, against such things there is no law. We'll expand on that just a little bit. Galatians five nineteen through twenty one. Remember this works of the flesh. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. These are simple to understand. Which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are characteristics of people who are not belonging to God. And those are people that are under the curse. Do you see that? They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, they are, uh, they're cursed unless God delivers them. And so, uh, when we see that, it's, uh, there's the, the curse of the law. The, uh, people are condemned. We were once condemned, Right? But there's now no condemnation. Paul maintains that the real covenant breakers are the ones who are the most zealous for the law. The ones that are self-righteous. And that's what we see in Galatians. That's really who Paul is addressing. The self-righteous ones. The ones who look like they're really doing good. And they were even bringing in the circumcision thing. So the irony is, is obvious. You know, it's, uh, The situation is self-evident, isn't it? The law is against these, whereas the law is not against love, not against kindness, not against goodness, right? That's one thing about against such things there is no law. Another one is how about those led by the Spirit? There's the opposite. The ones who have this fruit of the Spirit, they're led by the Spirit. In, in chapter 5, verse 18, it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law and its curse. If you're led by the Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you're a believer. Romans 8.1, we already just said that, Thou therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit is what? Life in Christ Jesus. Set you free. There we go again. Very good. And we know that the law is fulfilled. The law of love. There are really two commandments when you're a Christian. Love God, love your neighbor. Sums it up there. Look in Romans chapter 8, verse 4. And just after that, no condemnation. A few verses later in verse 4. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. So as He comes into our life, we fulfill the requirement of the law. 
What's the requirement? Look in Galatians 5.14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. What's the key word? Love. And we explain what love is. Right? Took a week dealing with that. We know what that is. The law is fulfilled. The law is fulfilled by love, which is a fruit of the Spirit. The law is fulfilled in us who walk according to the Spirit. So when we're walking according to the Spirit, we've actually fulfilled the demands of the law. We already know we're not under the curse of the law, but we fulfill it now because of the Holy Spirit's in us who empowers us. Well, that's number one. Against such things there is no law. Ready to move to the next verse? And say, okay, boom, it seems like it takes a shift here. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's read that again. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He now gets into looking back We've, first of all, when, when you think of crucifixion, you look back to the cross, right? Here's what happened to us. There was a crucifixion of us. Paul never gets away from that, does he? Our conversion in Christ, Paul continually goes back to that. How often he does. The reality of the cross. Right here, he does it here. talks about fruit of the Spirit. Next thing you know, he's talking about the cross. And Christ on it. Christ, the Holy Spirit, God the Father. You see the Trinity just constantly there. Well, then he goes back to the cross, that focal point. The reality of it. The saving power of it. Uh, everything was accomplished at the cross, right? Evidence. Evidence of true conversion here. And he's speaking to those who belong to Christ. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now. He hits on the word now. Sounds like a guy in a commercial I hear all the time. Buy now. Order now. (laughs) Now, right at this point in time. You have a phone number there on the TV screen. Order it now. Well, he's drawing to conclusion here. The contrast. You've seen the contrast of the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what he's coming right off the heels there. And he is now going to exhort them, okay, now here's what you do. Here's what happened. Here is now. At this time that we live. And and he says something that is true of every believer. Um, We know that in past tense, Jesus nailed all the sins, all the desires, as it says in here, desires, the passions and desires. He nailed those to the cross. Now that's a past tense happening. And the thing is, there also is an emphasis here, and this is really where this is going to go. The emphasis now, not only in the past, but it now brings it up to where we're at, and it's called activism of faith. Putting your faith into action. Making it happen. It's the leading of the Spirit, because in verse 18, we read that, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not... You're not feeling guilty and you're not having the law condemn you and such. Um, This is talking about being led by God's Spirit if uh, this happens. And so now we talk about the crucified crucified, uh, flesh. 
you have a crucified flesh, but you are crucifying the flesh. In the Roman world, they talked about crucifying, and it's very striking, and nobody ever had anything positive to say because it was the most horrific ordeal that could ever happen to one in the way that they would die. And if you would talk about it in a light way, it would be very obscene. It's quite an illustration that Paul gathers here, so we don't want to take it lightly. We've heard of that before. Those who belong to Jesus, those who, belong, those who are Christians, those who are believers, have crucified the flesh. Positionally, that happened. What about it practically? The position thing has already been explained. We'll go back there just for a moment. Chapter 2, verse 20. It's a great memory verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. What does he say? I have been crucified with Christ. This is what happened. This is at the cross. There's the past tense. There's a difference here in our Galatians 5 passage when he talks about crucified, even though they're very similar and they can mean the same thing. What we have, we have a passive sense in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. That happened to us. Whatever happened to Christ happened to us. We died. We were crucified. We were buried. We arose, right? We even centered into the heavens, you know? That's, that's positionally. That, that happened. And that was a passive thing. Do you remember that happening? Well, you weren't even born yet. As far as God is concerned, that's what happened. And that passage really is, is what we're dealing with here is I've been crucified with Christ. There has been a union made there. Now the union continues. And even the judgment, you think of that judgment that happened to Him, that happened to us too as those sins were put on Him. So, it's ratified, but on a daily basis. Luke 9.23, we were here on Wednesday night, but we were on that last Sunday. But on the previous Wednesday, we were on that Luke 9.23 again. Now, I think Luke uses it because he likes the name of the Gospel. Good <laughs> Now, I think that's one of your favorite verses. And I think it should be a favorite verse for all Christians. A favorite. Because it defines who we are and what we do. If anyone would come after me, what's the next phrase? He must deny himself. Anyone who really comes after him, he must deny himself, take up the cross daily, then we do that, then what? And follow me. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ. This is what we are to do every day. If anyone comes after him, we must deny him. He's not saying you can deny him if you want. No, you must. You must do, deny himself. Whenever I say I mean himself, deny yourself, right? Forget yourself. Deny yourself. Um, the apostle tells us of what happens at a conversion. 
It has a beginning. See it in Galatians 2.20. It continues. And in our Galatians 5, it's really this. It's continuing on. It's an ongoing repentance and faith in Christ. When you come to Christ, you have to have repentance and faith. God grants it to you. You now have it. You do it. Now, you work with God. You couldn't before. You had no power. Now you have the power to be able to do it. The thing is, this is where it really gets hard, doesn't it? This is really the Christian walk. It's a hard walk. And if you are being crucified, you are to completely die. And it doesn't happen all at once and boom, it's over. Because you're on the crucifix. You're on there for a long time. And you're there to ultimately die. And I think that's why Paul is using a great illustration. It's the best illustration you can think so you can see what the Romans did and and then you can see how it happened to Jesus. And then we're saying, this is what's happening now to me. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, are crucifying. Are you, are you catching that? Um, Alistair Begg, I thought I had something that really wanted to stick in my head and I, I had to write it down. The secret to holiness. Boom. I went, what? What is it? What is it? Couldn't wait. You guys ready? The secret to holiness lies in the degree and the decisiveness of repentance. You want the secret of holiness? It lies in the degree and the decisiveness you decide of repentance. Repenting. Because we do sin. Hopefully we're winning a lot of battles, but we cannot deny the fact that yes, we still sin. We're still here. We're still in the flesh. We are to do something. We are to be active. There's the passive sense that already happened. Now there is the active sense. You're sitting on your couch. You're sitting on your chair. Happen to be watching TV. And all of a sudden something comes on that is really not good. It's not worthy of your purified self to be watching and participating in. And you say to yourself, I really shouldn't be watching this. Or I'm hearing this language. Folks, I'll tell you, the movie industry, what it has done to the English language is butchered it and brought in language. And it's been there as long as I can remember. Even back in the 60s, they would have a bad word here and there. It wasn't like the words that they're using now. And some of the worst words you can think of, they will say at least 100 times. Uh, I've looked it on reviews. If you want to protect yourself from a movie and you'd really like to watch the movie, and really go on to the internet, check out, uh, there's different websites that are Christian websites, and they'll tell you what is happening with this movie. They'll tell you how many cuss words that are there. And it's like, I don't want to be a part of these words that are being used. And it's like, well, I don't use those terms, and I have to overlook that, just the world. See, what the world do is is, is pumping these words into us where it's almost like we just let it go on by and it doesn't mean anything anymore. I can't believe. And of course, the things that they show, they always have to have some scene where it is embarrassing. If you happen to be sitting with somebody, you go, oh no, here we go, and you like to fast forward or something. 
And then the homosexual thing on all the... Uh, I don't even watch sitcoms. They're just downright nasty. Pornography. And the, the vile humor that they have. But, you know, you, you, they always, almost all the shows, I think, have been demanded that they have something in that show that has something to do with a homosexual or a lesbian. Either they say something about it or they have some person on that show. Do you notice how the world is shoving this down our throats? And I like entertainment. I'm not saying, hey, TV is bad and everybody should throw out their TVs or quit going to the movies. Man, I think we have to really watch ourselves now. Even more than that. I have never seen... I'm just, it's like we have to be shocked. If we're not shocked, we can get to a point where we're just calloused. And say, so, well, that's just the way of the world. I, yeah, and it's it. I mean, there's no shame there is no shame with what is what has happened. I hate to say it, I really do. But uh, if we come across that, uh, as Alistair Beggett says, says I don't think I should be here watching that. And so we make a decisive act to go over or pick up the remote <laughs> and just click it off, or turn to something else or whatever. And um, so that that's part of the the daily living, the, the daily walk. And Beg, Beg also went on to say, we have to be ruthless against sin, ruthless, uncompromising rejection of sin. This is part of the if anyone would come after Christ, they would what? They must deny self. It must deny anything that would be sin, rejecting sin. It's a necessity uh, to reject it, but we have to remember that God always supplies the ability to fulfill the necessity. He always gives us everything we need. You know, the believer never quits repenting. Never. I know there's some theologies out there that says, hey, all your sin is gone now. And, and yeah, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, right? It's all been cast, it's, you know, far as the east is from the west. Some people take that to extent and say, see, we don't have sin anymore. The sin, sin has already been gone. So therefore, I, I sin. No matter what they do. Matter of fact, they just sinned because they had a matter of pride. <laughs> and they just sinned because they just lied. Because in the New Testament, we see so many scriptures that says we are to confess our sins. <laughs> <laughs> We're not bringing that subject right here because everything I've heard in the past week has been that topic. <laughs> and you did too because I saw your deal. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> I've been a bunch of lying going on here somewhere. Anyway. <laughs> That's just the normal, the normal unchristian life, right? The believer never quits repenting. It begins at conversion. But it continues to go. John Brown explained it well. Crucifixion produced death, but not gradually. True Christians, true Christians do not succeed in completely destroying it, that is the flesh, following the flesh, while here below. But they have fixed it to the cross. And they're determined to keep it there till it expires. You look at that cross and say, yeah, my sin is up there. It's up there. I don't want to go up there and take it off the cross and start applying it to my life now. I see it up there that Jesus died for. 
And that can be actions, it can be attitudes, it can be words, thoughts. You know what I'm talking about. It says, no, I'm going to leave it up there. This is a continual dying. We have to continue. This is not an easy thing, this Christian life. I would love to say, you can have your best life now. Wouldn't that be good? I can promise you things here in this life right now that you don't have to go through. Wouldn't that be great? And everybody would flock in. Man, we could have thousands, we could have tens of thousands of people and meeting meet in a in the Astrodome or something, you know? John Stott said this. Three words that start with the letter P. Crucifixion is pitiless. It takes no pity. There's no mercy at the cross. We want to pummel that sin. We want to kill it. We want to starve it. Remember John Owen, you know? And that's all dealing with crucifying. It's pitiless. It rejects sin. It takes no mercy. It takes no prisoners. <laughs> What's the next P word? Painful. It's painful to be on the cross. Isn't it? To be crucified. Somebody was under great pain to reject sin. And of course, we know that Moses gave up the pleasures for the moment to follow really Christ. To follow God. And he suffered affliction. It was painful. It's painful to be a Christian sometimes because things look a little easier on the other side. They're really not. They don't have an answer. But sometimes it seems like they just get away with murder, and they do. So it's pitiless to be crucified. It is painful to be crucified. And Stott finished with another word that started with the letter P. It's called persistent. That means... You keep on the process of dying until you die, ultimately. That's what's happening to us. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Crucify yourself. Crucify your sins. Keep the sins up there on the cross. It's a slow, gradual thing. You know, the crucifixion, you, you've, you've heard about the culture and the customs of the Roman crucifixion. It was a slow death. It was the worst kind of death there ever could be. And that's what our Savior died. It's one thing to die, to die instantly. It's another thing to die, you know, a few minutes. We're talking hours. Some people did days upon the cross. And then they died. That's what's happening to us. We're dying daily. We take up the cross. We're being crucified. Yeah, we have been crucified. We are being crucified. One of these days we get the glory out of this. (laughs) That's what we're shooting to. So, it says here, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who are truly belonging to Christ. Christ owns us. 
We have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, but it's a continual sense here. The flesh, our nature of sin, it's characterized by passions and desires. Those two words actually can be good words. You can have a good passion. You you can have a passion for God's Word. You can have a desire to read that. And that's good. But if it's not Spirit-led... It's led by Satan, it's led by the world, it's led by the flesh. And now we've got a problem, don't we? The flesh. John Calvin expressed it this way, it's the depravity of corrupt nature from which all evils proceed. Passions and desires. It turns, it goes in the opposite direction from the very desires of God goes in the opposite direction. It turns away from the law of God. It wants to do its own thing. Independent from God's holiness. It's self-centered. Bottom line, it's self-centered at its roots. Deny yourself. Your What's the last word? Self. Your self. Then, it meets the killing power of the cross. Christ did His job at the cross. Did everything that needed to be done. While we're here, we also want the killing power to continue in our fleshly lives. The flesh is no match for the cross, is it? It cannot contend against the cross. A transformation took place in each one of our lives who trusted in Christ. We crucified the flesh. We repented. We denied self. It was obedience. Now, we still have passions and desires. But we are to be affected by the reality of Christ. Jesus died in our stead. Took our place. Did the great exchange at the cross. We turned away from evil, didn't we? Those passions and desires. We yield ourselves to holy to Jesus Christ. That's really what we would say happened when we became new Christians, new believers. Look in Romans 8.13. We want to encourage each other to keep dying to that. It got started. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, If you're a Christian, you're putting to death the deeds of the body. That shows your character has changed. You are a new person and you will live. It's talking about eternal life. But if you do the deeds of the flesh and that's your character and your nature, just as our Galatians 5 talks about, here's the deeds of the flesh, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God or you will die. Different terminology is saying the same thing, isn't it? The Scripture always, always agrees with itself. Isn't that good to know you have a book that never can make any other doubt on any other passage? Now, people can have their doubts, and they can have problems with the Bible. The Bible does not have any problem. <laughs> we have to deal with it and delve into these truths. We live in this reality. Something extraordinary happened at conversion, and I want to tell you right now, something extraordinary is going on in your heart. Every day. You have the very 
Spirit, the very nature of God residing in you. If you were to tell that to somebody right off the street, that is just too deep. They cannot get that. Even a Christian has a hard time trying to deal with that. God is living in me. I'm not God. He is God, but He's living in me. He makes my He makes the residence in my life. Wow. Do you see how this has to do with the Christian life? This is the Christian life. Do you have in your heart a ruthless, unabashedly ashamed, uncompromising attitude with sin? Do you have that? Or does that need to be refreshed? Well, to be refreshed, you take that nice, cool-looking glass and you put in nice, cool water that came from the green pastures. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you something. Just a side light. It's a freebie. Because I have a few minutes. I'm, I just have one more page here, folks. Stretch this out. Ray Vanderlaan had a series of videos back in the 80s, 90s. Just tremendous. If you ever get a chance, all I have to do is go on uh, YouTube. Man, you can go on YouTube and find about anything. Go on there, type in Ray Vanderlaan. You'll get all you want. He goes to uh, Israel and goes on location. And and I think uh, I've been able to share this with with some other people. And you can't help but go and check this out. Going to Israel, you go in the Promised Land, you know. And you see him teaching right there on those spots, and he really brings it into life application. He calls them life lessons. So he takes what is really real and the teaching and then the culture, really good on the culture. You like those things? Well, I do. I just grab that and eat that up. Here's the customs at that time, you know, when they were living. And then he brings it into our own lives. That's, it's really cool how he does it. So if you get a chance, you try that out. It's um, really good. Now, uh, the thing is, is I'm not sure how I even got there. Green pastures. Okay. Ray Vanderlaan taught on green pastures. And he takes you out into the wilderness. And when I'm talking wilderness, I'm talking, you've seen pictures of Israel. And you've seen where it's just rocky. And you've seen where you just look for miles and you see mountains. And you see rocks. You know what else you see? Rocks. You know what else you see? Rocks. And you say, boy, you know... I don't really know if I want to go there. I, I hope there's a new Jerusalem or something, you know. New, new heaven, new... Well, there will be. But uh, in the meantime, there are places where there are just rocks. And there's not... You really have to look hard to find the grass. Well, you know where David took his sheep at? He didn't take them into the fields where people grew their, um, their crops. Geez, you're going to get in trouble. You start having them... Start eating the eating the crops, eating the, whatever they have there, green coming up. No, no, no. You, you don't go there. You have to go out into the wilderness where the green pastures are. Every once in a while, you see a little bit of a piece of green grass coming up out of the rocks. You've seen them here in Missouri. Even you'll see the like the little bluffs that you go on Highway 50 here, you know, and, and you'll look up there and you'll see a tree kind of growing out of the side. Have well. you ever noticed that? You go, how in the world does that grow there? And it looks like there's all nothing but rock, but every once in a while you'll see a bit of little life, a little green, you know. And that's the way it is there. And so in Psalm 23, when we're talking green pastures, we're not talking going out there, nice spring, 
day, blue sky, sun shining, and there's nothing but a carpet of green grass, and you throw yourself down on it, and you, you have a fresh drink of water, and you lay down and go, ah, they're green pastures. They have to really root for this little blade of green grass that's coming up, and that's called the green pastures. Do you see where Ray Vanderlaan took this? Ah, <laughs> uh, Zach, look, he got it, he got it. Fantastic. Catch this, he's even got the vocal horn. There's the rock. Beautiful. He didn't even have this planned out. You're good. I can say that because he does stuff like this all the time. Hey, Zach, I call him up. Hey, I got a technical problem. Uh, thanks. I really do. That uh, picture's worth a thousand words. I don't have to go any further, do I? The Christian life is out in the green pastures that God has supplied us. Yeah, he could have just plopped us right into heaven. He didn't do it that way. We are sheep. And He's given us all we need for each day. This is the Christian life. You really have to watch out for the dangers out there. There are wolves. There are lions. Remember David wrote about all that song that was sang this morning by Audrey? Wasn't that a really good song? Green pasture. He leads us beside still waters. Takes us to the green pastures. Everything that we need and say, yeah, but I would really like to have that carpet of green grass. I could stay there all summer long. It's too easy. <laughs> Christian life. You really have certain times. That explains what you're going through. You can say, I'm a Christian and I don't see why things just everything doesn't go right. I know. I complain all the time, folks. I'm sorry, I admit it. And then I have to realize this is the real thing right here. This is the this is the Christian life. And this is why Paul says, "Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. They are crucifying the flesh with passions and desires. We live." There is a different drumbeat for the Christians. There you go, Nandor. You give us a different drumbeat. It's not from the world. Physically, I mean, really, you know, it's coming from the Spirit of God. Different cadence. Okay, the condition of our being is that we've been regenerated. John three. If you've been listening to John MacArthur on Grace to You in the past a couple of weeks, he's been on John three. He's been talking about regeneration. He's been talking about election, predestination, and what happens to us. Born from above. That's really what it means. That's re- it's so been distorted. Pe- you know, people have been lied to what born again is, and um, they, they get half of it right, but uh, it's they don't get the deal about the, the the spirit, the wind that that comes. You know, we how do you describe the the wind? You know, you don't see it. You know that it, that it comes from a direction, and you see the effects of it. But do we control the wind? Ooh. Jeff City is shifting away the north wind today because we want to stay up in the 50s. So we have this way of directing the wind away from us. Uh, we don't have any control over the wind. Neither do we have a control over the spirit. By the way, the word pneuma is wind or spirit. You ever heard of pneumatic tires? Pneuma? 
spirit, wind. A great analogy that Jesus used there, wasn't it? So spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 gives life. 2 Corinthians 3, just a book before Galatians. Galatians 3, 5, and 6. Look at this. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Now you ready? Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills. The law kills. But the Spirit gives what? Life. Life. Eternal life. We have life. No matter what's going on around us, no matter if our body is our body is dying. Can't do anything about that. It is dying, isn't it? We will die. Unless Jesus comes back and there is a verse for that, and then we just meet him in the air and just boom, transforms like that. That would be pretty cool too. I like that thought. Doesn't matter. There's a practice of behaving, isn't it? Walk by the Spirit. The word is stoicheo. It's funny. We've taken all this time near the end to get to this point. But we've really been talking about it. This has really been the crux. What is the word walk? If we live by the Spirit, we already talked about that as we went to our uh, um, 2 Corinthians passage. He gave us life. If we live by the Spirit, if we're regenerated by the Spirit, if we live by that, what's the next action? then we also walk by the Spirit. You're a Christian, now you walk. You've been regenerated, you walk. You do it. Stoicheo. It's a different word than uh, parapepto. Standing in line. It's a military word. It's being in, in, in the keeping in step. It's standing in a row. Are you, are you kind of getting that? Uh, it's just being in formation in a straight line. And you walk there. If the Spirit is the source of life, He is our life, then we want the Spirit to direct our course as we line up with Him. It means to march in line with. Stoicheo. To march in line with the Holy Spirit. We are partners. Walking by the Spirit. Um, The outworking of salvation. Paul said, work out your salvation. There's an indicative. The indicative sense is that God has done this and is doing it. And then also you see the imperative. We are commanded. We must do this. Do you see how the two go together? The word... Living by the Spirit will be marching to the Spirit's drumbeat here, or, or walking by the Spirit. Uh, the verb here recalls the believer's walk. Chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Do you like that? When you're walking by the Spirit, we've been explaining all that that means. Uh, keeping in step. When you keep in step with the Holy Spirit, there's the promise. Um, it's a military term. When you have military, you think of what? Authority. And we all kind of don't like authority sometimes, especially when the authority is really, really bad. Bad leadership. But this authority 
we are to acknowledge Him and obey Him. Just as we would a sergeant. So he puts that military term in here, stoikeo. Could have used a different term, but he is the one doing the orders. And really, to be under that authority is just wonderful. If that's what submission is, that's what I want. It's hard to submit to things that are wrong. But life here is, we have an inward power that's already been given. The walk describes the evidences of the Christian life. Do you see how this is all tying in with the fruit of the Spirit? He's just tying this package up. The cross is applied. This is where we ready to tie all this up. It's a definitive act making up your mind that you're going to do what you do for the glory of God. It's an act of sanctification. It's a decisive act to repent. Christians are called to do that. They're called to do what we are. Whatever your last name is. Remember your, if you, you had parents that ever said, uh, hey, I want you to remember who you are. You're representing the Helton family. Say, everywhere I went. I know, I know. <laughs> remember who I am. <laughs> I was representing my mom and dad, the whole family of the Heltons. You guys, a lot of you probably remember hearing that. Some of you will say, no, I never heard that. It makes sense though, doesn't it? Remember who you are. Because you that's what you are. That, that, who you are, what you are. And you can do these things. It's the exhortation to obedience. And there's been a death blow that's been dealt. We've been liberated from the power of sin. We have quite the union. Uh, but we are in a war. And really what God has called us to do is to just mop up. Mop up after the battle is over. Let's mop up, and when the commander-in-chief comes in, it will be done in a matter of moments, and we'll all just go home where we belong. (laughs) Remember singing that song? Where we belong. So this is not our home. In the meantime, we're on a journey. This is everywhere. The Bible speaks to Christians. You have been delivered from sin. Now act like it. Can an adult become a child again? No. What can they do? You just said it. They can act like one. They sure can. A lot of adults going around acting like children, right? Well, that's the thing. We, We are Christians, but we can sure act like an unbeliever sometimes. And... um Parents sometimes have to, you know, say to to the child, "You grow up and act your age." You ever heard that one? Yeah. Grow up, act your age. <laughs> now act like it. You don't even have to put an act on. I mean, this is what you are. <laughs> Not putting a mask on, but there's a three pitfalls found at the very end here. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And it's like, man, I just read this all this last week. I'm going. <laughs> 
Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. He goes to the negative now, you know. And then he, that's it. He ends the chapter. Actually, it's going to lead us right into chapter six because they didn't have chapters. <laughs> they didn't have verses. They just this is an epistle. It's a letter. But it sure helps to have these because otherwise, they say, okay, go about three quarters of that one letter. And about halfway down on probably, I don't know what page, because you have different... <laughs> I'm glad we have Roll your scroll. Roll your, yeah, unroll your scroll. Be, we'd be down, down on the floor, be rolling that thing out, and then trying to hold it down over here. <laughs> Life in the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, receive the acid test in the practical concern. This shows who we really are. If we really love then our thoughts, our words, our actions, our deeds are directed towards the highest good of others. Because love says to what? Love your neighbor. The highest good for others. You know what that does? It just takes down the self. Because no longer are we promoting self. I'm here for the higher good of that person. And it's interesting here, this word, let us not become boastful. Okay, yeah, right. Prove the Spirit shouldn't be boastful. Okay, yeah. How's it fit? The word there is kinodoxia. Kino is empty. Kenosis, you ever heard of the kenosis? An emptying. A doxa is what? We, we sing that. Glory. What is it? Empty glory. Vain Glory. There's really get rid of that. Don't become vain glory. You, you don't have any glory. It's conceit. Why are these here? They're, they're pitfalls. They're potholes. Trying to make a stumble. Why are they here? Well, somebody ventured to say this. Alistair Begg said, "When I get to heaven, there are questions that I'm going to ask, and one of them might be right here on this verse here." Is Paul addressing the self-righteous who go around saying, you know, um, that they have everything together, that they're doing everything right, uh, like the guy in, in uh, Luke, was it? Forget the chapter. Anyway, he is the Pharisee, and he's thinking God that he's not like that man over there. The publican and the sinner, right? That's what it was, yeah, the publican and the sinner. Also the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. And that was self-righteousness, wasn't it? And that's really who he's addressing here. That's what they were doing. They were very boastful. You come along, you take our theology that we're putting here, you, you have to be circumcised, for instance. And they're saying, yes! Yes! Keep addressing this. I mean, you're hitting right on here, self-control and all that, and walking by the Spirit. You know, you know, come on, yes. Keep saying it, Paul. We like what you're saying. You know, they're agreeing with him. You keep preaching on holiness, Paul. Keep preaching. That's what we want to hear. And Paul says, be quiet. You're looking down your nose and looking down upon other people just like the Pharisees did. Your righteousness must be better than this, Jesus said, than the Pharisees. 
So, conceit, vainglory. We all battle with that. But it's really about ourselves. But, you know, taking glory in that. Challenging one another. Provoking one another. So when we get boastful, then we start provoking and making the other mad or something, right? And then envying. Envying one another. All these kind of go to hand. When somebody has something, somebody has a piece of candy. You don't have that. You can kind of really relate to this when you were younger because, you know, as you get older, it's almost like, ah, if I eat that candy, it'll stick to my teeth and it might pull my dentures out or it might pull my fillings out. <laughs> He's got that. He's got that candy bar. I would really like to have that. Then you're told, no. You can't have that. That's not yours. That's theirs. And all of a sudden, it's like, not only I would like to have it, I wish that person over there didn't have it. Envy. Envy. You know, they have it and I don't. So, if I can't get it, I don't want them to have it either. <laughs> That's the kind of the idea of envying there. Um, when when we do all this, we despise, we provoke one another, uh, uh, there's a superiority, really, that we have to fight against. No matter what, we see people that are less than us, and we don't say it to ourselves, or we definitely don't say it to anybody else, but, you know, hey, yeah, too bad for that person there. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we have our own superiority going there, and um, at the same time, if they have something, you know, you play it on the other side, we, we don't want to envy the gifts and abilities God has bestowed upon others, but we want to rejoice in them. So we look at all this and we can see how if we have kindness and goodness and self-control, those th- and we do have, if we allow those things to control us, which is the Spirit of God, we do have the power and the strength not to act like the kids anymore. Act like when we were a kid. Uh, but we, we do it but you know what? We have God's grace, don't we? Amen. Um, I tie it up now. Got the shoestring, and I am already uh, I've already tied it up there, and I'm going to put one last little knot in it. What is the normal Christian life? What is it? You ready? Well, listen, Alistair beg quite a bit, I guess. <laughs> uh, not trying to give him any vain glory here. But no. Um, I thought this was really good. The normal Christian life is a spontaneous production by the Spirit. Remember the fruit of the Spirit being produced? And the continuous rejection of sin. That's what we covered today, right? Enabled by the Spirit in my daily routine. That's it. It's a spontaneous production of the fruit by the Spirit and the continuous rejection of sin, crucifying daily, enabled by the Spirit in my daily routine. You know what I need? It's easy for me to say this and get up here and t- What I need is the very breath of God to breathe in my life constantly to close the gap between my words and my actions. And enable me to live by the Spirit of God. Let's pray.
Father, thank You for Your precious truth. Thank You for what You have done with us. You've taken a stony heart and uh, You've made a clay and You're forming that even right now. You're doing it today. You'll do it throughout the rest of this day. You'll do it tomorrow, throughout the week. You'll do it next week, next month, next year. You'll do it until it's time for us to go and be in the presence of You being glorified. You are killing those things that are bad for us. You really are working a work that is tremendous and awesome. We don't see it always, but we do realize theologically that that is what is happening. We don't feel it sometimes. Much of the time we don't feel it at all. But help us to remember what You're doing. As Your Holy Spirit desires for us to walk under His direction. In Your Son's name we pray these things. Amen.